Well, hello and welcome back to the Vineyard Church Podcast. It's Christmas time and we are kicking off with a new series on Advent. Yes, we know that Advent starts next week, but we're just so excited about the Christmas season that we're getting a head start on it all. Chris is bringing the first sermon of our series today and he's talking about hope. Here's Chris. Well, good morning and welcome back. Good to see y'all. Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas and all the other uh, Marys that we need to have along the way. Glad you're here. Want to uh, start by acknowledging the fact that it's a little chilly in here this morning. Uh, the boiler uh, is working just fine. The pumps on the boiler are not working correctly. Uh, but don't complain. This is this is actually by design. Just snuggle with your neighbor, okay? Does a church. Uh, church closeness we're promoting today, and uh, we'll try and keep it keep it hot up here on the stage. All right, so um, just a report last week, be the blessing, awesome weekend, so much fun, so many people came across, wrote prayers on the walls, it was it just beautiful, and a lot of pizza got eaten too, but it was just fun to be able to hang out together after church, kind of a picture of maybe what it's going to look like when we get the cafe open over there, uh, and so that was amazing. Uh, I think we packaged over 8,000 uh, Christmas child boxes. You guys didn't give 8,000, uh, but, but we brought 8,000 together and packaged them at our warehouse. Uh, we gave 500, I think our church was 550, somewhere around there, Christmas boxes. Uh, we are still, we'll be receiving Be the Blessing offering stuff um, for the next couple of weeks. So if you didn't get a chance to participate in that, I hope you will. And next weekend, bring food for the House of the Carpenter. So uh, it is a season of giving, a season of generosity, a season of just joy uh, as we lean into being the blessing here at the end of this year. All right, well, we are kicking off a new sermon series today. This is going to go four weeks. We're calling it our Advent Sermon Series. Anybody familiar with Advent? Raise your hands. All right, you've heard the word before, uh, for sure. Advent uh, is a holiday that the, the church has been celebrating for almost 1,500 years, maybe a little more than 1,500 years. Uh, it, is, um, it is the celebration of the arrival of Jesus. It comes from the Latin word advantus, which means coming or arrival. And, uh, and so it's a twofold celebration. One, we're celebrating the birthday of Jesus or the anniversary of his first arrival when he came in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. And so what we do is for a four-week period of time, we focus our, we focus our hearts, our energy on him in preparation for that anniversary or that birthday. Does that make sense? But there's another aspect to it. Jesus, when he left, he didn't leave in death. He rose from the dead, conquered death, and then said, I'm leaving, but I will be back. And so it is the celebration and the preparation for his coming again. Does that make sense? There's two aspects to this, the celebration and preparation for what we call Christmas and the, the, the uh, celebration and the preparation for his return. Our, and, that, and that is, our, as Christians, that's a big part of our hope. Um, now, if we ever needed a time to slow down and focus on the meaning of Christmas, 
in our world, today would be a time that we need to do that. I mean, Christmas has become very commercialized, very busy. We have financial pressure. We have, of course, social pressure. We have to keep up with everybody on Instagram pressure. We've got to have just the right Christmas table and the dinner for everybody, the right presents. There's a lot going on. Did you know that Christmas, Christmas hasn't always been that way? And in, and in fact, that in the, in the 1800s, some, somewhere towards the end of the 1800s, marketers discovered we can sell a lot of crap at Christmas. And, and they, invent, you know, they didn't invent Santa Claus, but really, as we know, Santa Claus kind of built him into what he is today. And, and, uh, and, and, and we live in, it used to be a holiday on the church calendar where we would celebrate his birth. And, and so it wasn't all the hype and all the pressure and all that wasn't there. But today, and those things, I don't want to sound like one of those curmudgeon pastors that's like, oh, Christmas, bah, humbug. You know, I'm all about Christmas. I love the presents. I love the food. I love the food. And, and so um, that's not what I'm saying. But if ever there was a time we needed to hit pause, take a deep breath, and focus our hearts on what this is all about, it's in this day and age that we do. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to hit pause Every Sunday, take a deep breath and focus on why we celebrate this and get our hearts ready for that day so that when we're there, yes, we'll enjoy the family and yes, we'll give gifts and we'll get to enjoy all that, but the real focus of our hearts is Him. And that's gonna be really, really important. Uh, each week in your program, you've got one of these bookmarks and each week we're gonna be covering a different topic. This week we're covering hope. The following week will be love and the the following week's peace and the last joy. I want to encourage you to hold on to that, put that in your Bible, and, uh, and keep it with you. Now, in full disclosure, Advent on the church calendar does not start until next Sunday. <laughs> We're starting a week early. We're the vineyard. We feel free to bend the calendar to our will and whim. And so we're going to start today um, with Advent because Christmas Eve is a Sunday and we're going to have a Christmas Eve service and, and do that then. So we're, gonna, we're starting a week early so that we can get all four weeks in leading up to Christmas. Um, one of the things I want to encourage you to do is pick up a devotional. And you can do this on the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, totally free. There's a, probably a hundred different Advent uh, devotionals you can pick up. They go on for the, the 24 days up to Christmas Eve. Read it with your family, read it by yourself. And so you're not just hitting the pause button on Sunday morning, but each day you're spending some time focusing your heart on Christ. You can also, if you're a paper person, you can pick up, there's a million Advent devotionals out there. You can pick up, pick one and go with it. I want to encourage you to do that. All right. So 2,000 years ago, in the Middle East, in a little town called Bethlehem, he arrived. And it was a very different world then than it is today. The social structure was completely different. It would, have, it would be so foreign to our concept. It was a, from, from Europe, you know, we, we think of, of Europe and we think of England and France. Those were, that was all, uh, those were all uncivilized barbarians in that area of the world at that point in time. Civilization was really centered around the Mediterranean and Rome. The Roman Empire ruled. 
They didn't even know that in that part of the world that this part of the world even existed. And it was a very, very domineering world. The rich ruled over the poor and there were very few rich. The, the, The rulers ruled over everyone and they were like gods. Whatever they said went. And if you weren't one of them, you just did what they told you to do. It was a world of empires, and the idea of freedom and self-determination like we understand as Americans did not exist. It didn't exist. The Jewish people lived in what, what is today modern, modern-day Israel, but they lived under the boot of the Roman Empire. The Romans had invaded. The Romans were a brutal, brutal occupier. But before the Romans, it was the Greeks. Before the Greeks, it was the Persians. Before them, the Babylonians and the Assyrians. They had been taken over, taken into exile. It had been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of oppression that the Jewish people lived under. And now it was the Romans. The Romans were oppressive for sure. The Romans were violent. You got out of line didn't pay your taxes, did something wrong, they'd just nail you to a tree on the side of the road on their way into Jerusalem just to put fear into the population. They, they um, taxed people to the point that they could never get ahead. They were always slaves of the government. They were violent. And they, to add insult to injury, they were pagan. The Jewish people were moral people. They followed God. They understood that God was one, not many. The the Romans worshipped all these gods. The Romans were were sexually perverse and otherwise perverse. And that was offensive to the Jewish people. And they, they rubbed it in their face as the Romans did. It was a hopeless situation. There was no hope for them, no hope to be free. The Roman, Roman military is the most powerful force in the world. There was no way. And yet they had hope. Hundreds of years before, under another invading empire, their prophets began to write about God coming to earth. God would become one of us. He would make all things right. And in the face of a hopeless situation, the people of God had hope that he would come. He would, he would come and he would set them free. But for the last 400 years, not a peep from the prophets, silence from heaven, and yet they still had hope. They still had hope. He was going to come. They would be rescued. You know, I think... In O Holy Night, one of my favorite Christmas carols, when we sing a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, we only understand about half of that. Like, yes, we understand we, we are sinners in need of a Savior, and the Savior came, and he was born in the world. There's this thrill of hope, and it's huge, and that's very significant and important. But for the Jewish people, it was the realization of hope. There's, there's another, a whole other dimension to it for them. They had hope 
that light would break out in what was otherwise a very, very dark world. John, Jesus' good friend, said this of his, of his arrival. He said in John 3.19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Hope has arrived. The thing that we've hoped for, the one whom we've hoped for has arrived. In John 1.4, he said this, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome it. Hope arrived. It was a big deal. It was a thrill of hope. And that hope gave those people the ability to hang on for all that time. Their hope was in things eternal. Their hope was in the one who held all things together. It couldn't have been in their circumstances because they didn't have the opportunity to put it in their circumstances because their circumstances were dismal. And yet they maintained their identity as a people. They thrived as a people and they held on to their God. Now you may not know this, but hope has been studied widely scientifically. There are over 2,000 studies on hope and the impacts and the outcomes of hope. There's even a hope research center at the University of Oklahoma. Hope is that profound. And you know what they found across those 2,000 plus studies? Hope is the single best indicator and predictor of health and well-being. If you have hope, you have positive health and well-being outcomes. So the question is, what is hope? And for that, I went to Webster. Are you ready? Let's see what he has to say. Hope, a desire of some good, but it's more than that. It's more than just a wish. A wish is a desire for some good. A hope is accompanied with at least a slight expectation that it is attainable. At least a slight expectation that it's obtainable or a belief that it is obtainable. It's hope is more than a wish. Hope is in knowing you can get there. So what does increasing hope do? Well, this is what they found out. Improved physical health. Now we know there's a mind-body connection in our, our health and our is, is somehow tied to this, our state of mind. Hope seems to be the X factor. When our hope is high, our physical well-being is better, but also psychological well-being. That would make sense, right? And social well-being. In children, what they found is children with a high hope quotient, their attendance goes up, their grades go up, their graduation rate goes up, their participation in college goes up, Hope is powerful. Hope is powerful. You know, our world is in rough shape today. It would be an easy time for us to grow hopeless. And again, if ever there was a time we needed hope, I think it is today. I sat down this week to make a list of all that's going on in the world, and I kind of got overwhelmed. 
Like if you, you know, we all kind of feel it, you know, but if you sit down and you make a list, don't do that. Let me, <laughs> but just, I did it for you. Just a, We've got wars going on in multiple fronts in this world, a genocide going on in Azerbaijan against Christians specifically. The average American family has lost $5,000 in buying power over the last two years. Addiction is off the charts. We are losing over 100,000 people a year to overdose just in this country. Mental health is great. That's not the right word. That's, you know, it's insensitive. Um, me mental health is up and to the right. Suicide, the same. Godless ideologies seem to be winning the day. And then there's the supply chain thing. I, I shared last week, I was speaking with the director of the the uh, House of the Carpenter, they can't get canned soup and canned uh, fruit from the grocery stores because they, ca they can't get enough of it and they're keeping it for themselves. I'm like, where's the fruit and soup? My wife went to Walmart the other day to get beans. It used to be like a 15-foot section of the, the store. It's now two feet. Where are the beans? That's a great question, actually. It'd be a good bumper sticker. Where are the beans? All right. The behaviors of children, the educational implosion post-COVID we talked about last week, human trafficking has come front and center in the consciousness of our world. There are millions of children today being trafficked for sex slavery. It's overwhelming. Trust in the experts and the leaders has imploded over the last few years. And generally speaking, it would be very easy to grow hopeless. And a lot of people are, and a lot of people have. In an article in the Atlantic magazine titled The New Science of Hope, Carol Graham wrote this, hope feels elusive in America right now. Suicides and fatal drug, drug overdoses, so-called deaths of despair resulting from a seeming lack of hope are at unprecedented levels. Mental health problems are on the rise. A recent CDC study of teenagers found a significant increase in sadness and vulnerability to suicide over the past decade, particularly among teen girls, a trend that began well before the coronavirus pandemic. In a recent Gallup poll, only 19% of Americans said they believe the country is going in the right direction. 19%. Hope is what we need. If we lose it, we're done. If we have it, we're invincible. So many Christians, though, I find as I talk to them are wringing their hands going, oh my, it's so bad. It's never been this bad before. And we're losing hope. And so I thought, wow, this would be a good day to talk about some hope, wouldn't it? And the reason we lose hope is because our hope is in the wrong things. We have, as we have swim in the waters of this culture, adopted the value system of this culture and not even known that we have. We've bought the lie that somehow our well-being is tied to our reduction of adversity and the increase of plenty. And that's not where our hope is. That's not where it should be anyway. It, 
In World War II, in the Netherlands, there was a family, the Ten Boom family. They were Christians. And when uh, Nazi Germany invaded, they began to hide and smuggle Jews out of their country to safety at their own peril and risk. They were eventually caught. Corrie Ten Boom was put in a concentration camp. She was stripped of everything, including her clothes for a while. She was infested with lice and fleas and, and insects. She was starved. She was exposed to elements, and she even more traumatically watched thousands of people die. And yet she never lost her hope, and they never broke her because her hope was not in the reduction of her adversity or the increase of her plenty, but her hope was in something bigger. She wrote a book, and I recommend this to you. If you have never read The Hiding Place, read it. It will shape the way you see the world. It's profound. She's famous for saying this, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the engineer. Her hope was in God, and she went through a very dark tunnel. No, the reality is, if your hope is in the right things, you can thrive through dark times. But if your hope is in comfort and prosperity, you won't. If it's in him, if it's in his arrival, your relationship with him, you're unshakable. Let me ask you this. Have you ever hoped for anything? You, you know what it feels like to hope, right? There, there's, there's a certain like spark inside of you when you begin to hope for something. Maybe it's the, it was the birth of a child and you visualize what that day would look like and what their life would look like. Or, or maybe it was to find a soulmate and you dreamed about you know, what he would look like or what she would be like. Maybe it was to, to get into that school and pursue that career and you dreamed what your life would look like. Or, or maybe it was to win the lottery. How many of us have dreamed? Of, and, and, and again, I'm going to give half of it to the church. I have yet to see that happen, by the way. I'm just saying. Um, I'll get this and I'll do that and I'll be, do all this. Yeah, we dream about it. Or if you're a HGTV person. Maybe it's dreaming about that house. Oh, the countertops will be made of this, and the cabinets will be this color, and the bathroom will have that, and you've dreamed about it. And you have this hope, and you're focused on it. Minus the lottery, none of those are bad hopes, I don't think. They're just lesser hopes. They're just lesser hopes. But that's why we always associate hopes with dreams, right? You never ask somebody, so tell me about what your hopes are. We always say, what are your hopes and dreams? Because if we truly are hoping in something, we visualize it, we dream about it, we think about it, we, we oh, it's going to be like that. See, hopes like that are powerful. Hopes like that are motivating. Hopes like that change things inside of us. Hope really gives us superhuman strength. It gives us the ability 
to wait with patience. It gives us the ability to have a positive attitude in that waiting, even if in the meantime, circumstances are not ideal. We can thrive in the midst of adversity if our hope is in the right thing. Guys, this is why sitting at the DMV makes you crazy. I may be the only one, but I don't think so. Like, like I'm a patient person, but if I'm at the DMV, the longer that wait goes, the more frustrated I get on, on the inside because it's hopeless, right? I mean, they're going to find a document that you don't have, and they're going to send you home, and it's going to take a day or two of your time, and they're going to crush you because that's their purpose. It's hopeless. Hopelessness. We just get all bunched up inside, but if we have a hope, Oh, my. We can be a ray of sunshine in the midst of the DMV or any other hopeless situation. In Romans 8, 24, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? In other words, if I already got it, I'm not hoping for it. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. There's a patience. There's a peace. There's a, um, all, it is well with my soul, even if it is not well with everything else around me. And this is where it matters what your hope is in. Those lesser hopes, nothing wrong with them, but they're lesser hopes. Our hope must be in Him. Those lesser hopes, they'll, they'll distract us for a time. They will, they'll make us feel better for a little while. But one of two things will happen. Either we will accomplish those hopes and we will realize it wasn't everything I dreamed it would be, and we will be disappointed. You know, that new car that you dreamed about is really satisfying for about six weeks. or we won't get it and we will find ourselves disappointed and hopeless. No, we have to put our hopes in something that is eternal, that is guaranteed, and that is the return of Jesus. As we celebrate Advent and prepare for his return, his coming again, that is our hope. Our eternity with him, that is where we find abiding peace and the ability to go through dark times in this life and not lose ourselves in the midst of it. I think as Americans, and I'm, again, not one of these pastors that wants to beat up America, I really don't, but so many of us, because we do swim in the, culture, the, the waters of our culture, have picked up the value system of our culture have placed our hope in the same things that our culture places its hopes in. It's our default. It's just part of living here. And so I want to give you, in light of that, I want to give you three choices or three kind of defaults for hope. The first one is this. Number one, when life is easy, 
we tend to put our hope in the things of this world. You see this throughout the Bible. When, when Israel would turn back to God and God would restore them and bless them and they would have plenty, it was just a generation or so until they began to put their hope in the things instead of the one who provided the things for them. And it was the beginning of the end for them. It, when things are easy, when life is good, we tend to put our hope in stuff. We put our hope in our health. We put our hope in our favorite team winning. Like a lot of Ohio State fans not doing well today. <laughs> or just be a WVU fan. I mean, it's... <clears throat> that was for Dave, wherever he is. Anyway, our hope is in silly things, really, when it comes down to it. Our hope is in a, in a, a political candidate or party. Boy, if they win, we're all going to be Okay. Right. Or our hope is in a, a, a relationship or, or our comfort or our job or whatever. When things are easy, that's where our hope tends to go. It's a human default. We've seen it over and over again for centuries and millennia. It's how we roll. Number two, when life feels hopeless, we... We come to a crossroads. We either give up hope or we put our hope in eternal things. Let me uh, give you an example of this. In, in addiction, there is a, a crossroads in addiction. It's called rock bottom. Have you heard of it? Like the hope of some people who love addicts is, well, I hope they'll hit rock bottom, but they don't die because that's what happens at rock bottom. They either give up and they will eventually die or they will have a spiritual experience and they will put their hope in things eternal. Because addicts who truly recover, I don't mean just get sober, but get better in here, are ones who put their hope in things eternal. They find their higher power, which is God, and they turn to him and it is a turnaround. I love hanging out with recovering and recovered addicts because they're so real and their hope is in what it needs to be in. And for, for many of us who have not hit rock bottom, we're still putting our hope in earthly things. And it's really kind of tiring, so refreshing to talk with people who have chosen the eternal. Romans 5, 3 through 5, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings when things are hard, when it feels hopeless. We glory in those things because we know that the suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. We are on, in the process of getting our hope in the right things in the midst of suffering. Point number two, when life feels hopeless, we either give up hope or we put hope in eternal things. I think this is what Paul is describing here. And he says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we put our hope in him, his spirit is poured into our lives. His love is poured into our hearts. Our hope's in the right place. But there's a third option. The third option is this. We can choose to put our hope in eternal things even 
when things are good. Let me say that again. We can choose to put our hope in eternal things even when things are good. This is God's hope and desire for all of us, that we would choose that. It's not our default. It's not our human inertia takes us in the opposite direction. We must pick that option. And it's the best option for the best life in this world. The reality is, though, as messed up as our world is today, we still have it pretty good. I mean, we might not be as free as we were 50 years ago, but on the timeline of human history, we're some of the freest people who've ever lived on the face of the earth. Our abundance exceeds the abundance of kings of old. We are, have opportunity out the yin-yang, and we are well entertained. How many streaming services do you subscribe to? We are comfortable. And so our temptation is number one, to put our hope in the things of this world. But you can choose to turn your eyes towards heaven. If heaven is your home and your goal, your relationship with God now, your, your, your comfort in eternity with him forever, your vision and your hope, again, you're unstoppable. In uh, doing a little research for this, this message, I, I came across a few studies or articles. This one from Ohio State University who didn't win, but <clears throat> did come to this conclusion. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, they did two surveys, surveying more than 1,500 newspaper obituaries from Ohio and then from across the United States. The study showed that those with documented religious affiliations lived up to 9.45 years, almost 10 years on average. They lived almost 10 years longer than those who did not have a faith. That's breathtaking. That's breathtaking. Hope in the right thing. Because everybody has hope in something. But these are people with hope in God. Pew Research Center found actively religious people are more likely to describe themselves as very happy as opposed to those who are not actively religious. Time Magazine, in an article titled, Does Spirituality Make You Happy?, said this, a 2015 survey by researchers at the London School of Economics and the Erasmus University Medical Center in the Netherlands found that participating in a religious organization, church, was the only social activity associated with sustained happiness. The only social activity associated with sustained happiness, even more than volunteering for a charity. And we've covered this. Volunteering and, and uh, generosity with our stuff is documented to be more profound from a mood-elevating standpoint than Prozac. This is even more powerful than that, having your hope in the right thing. And they, they looked at educational courses and participating in political or community organization. In other words, social activities with purpose doesn't compare. 
doesn't even compare. It's as if a sense of spirituality and an active social religious practice were an effective vaccine against the virus of unhappiness. What's your hope in? What's your hope in? It's interesting, the prophet Isaiah, 2,700 years before the Ohio State University, I think he won his game. But anyway, um, <clears throat> okay, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, Ohio State fans. I, I just can't help it. It just keeps coming out. All right, so he came to the same conclusion. In Isaiah 40, 31, he said this, but those whose hope is in the Lord will what? They'll renew their strength. They will physically be better off. They will emotionally be better off. They will spiritually and mentally renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Does this not just sound like these studies? When our hope is in the right things. Guys, as Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus, our hope is in four things. One of them is, is, is attained. One of them we already have. It's, it's a relationship with God through the presence of his spirit inside of us. When Jesus left, he said, I'm going away. I will come back. In the meantime, I'm sending my spirit. He's going to live inside of you. He's going to empower you. He's going to comfort you. He's going to pour my love into your heart. He's going to teach you and lead you. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you can live in that reality today. That is our hope. If you're not a follower of Jesus, that can be your reality today. The other two, so one's realized the Spirit in us. Three are yet to come. I hope for spiritual renewal. I hope that God pours his spirit out on our world as he has done over and over again over the millennia. And in the history of our country, about every 50 years, God shows up and does something profound. If you're familiar with the, the story of this church, we were born out of the last renewal that happened in the 60s and 70s when God poured out his spirit miraculously a bunch of Stoned baby boomer hippies came to faith in Jesus miraculously. I think he's going to do it again. My hope is, in fact, I think that's part of why we're in this venue is because he's going to do it again. And can you close your eyes for a minute with me and visualize what this place filled two or three times on a Sunday would look like? The impact that would have on our world? I have hope that God's going to do that again. The third... The third is the return of Jesus. And a lot of people get all wigged out. Oh, Jesus is coming back. I better, you know, look busy. Jesus is coming back. That's nothing to be afraid of. That is our hope. He said he'll come back for us. Are your eyes on that? When's the last time you visualized the return of Jesus and how glorious that would be? And the fourth is eternity, life everlasting, eternal life with Jesus, with the Father in heaven. And this is a very short period of time on the timeline of history, this life. 
When's the last time you dreamed about heaven? You'll probably not get all the details right, but have you ever closed your eyes? and Because we, our hopes, our, our dreams are tied to our hopes. Have you dreamed about it? Do you think about it? Our hope is in him because he conquered death and he's given us a living hope. It's not a hope in somebody who died and said, well, this is what it's going to be like. He came back from the dead. He knows what he's talking about. In 1 Peter 1.3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a what? A living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. This isn't something that we wish for. This is something that the guy who came back from crucifixion has told us is going to happen. He came the first time. He will come back the second time. So the question is, how? How do we shift our hope from the things of this world to the things that really matter, to those, those four hopes that I laid out? And I just want to give you four quick things. How do I switch my hope? First, you've got to make the choice. You've been given today what you need to be able to make that choice. you just got to make the choice. I want to invite you to do that today. Secondly, you need to ask God to change your heart. In part, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit to place our hope not in what we see around us, but in what is unseen, in what we hope for and where we ultimately will be. Three, read the Scriptures. Read Scripture daily. To focus your heart on him, we have ingest so much input from the world around us that takes our eyes off of where we're going, off of what our hope is, and puts it on all the distractions around us. Make sure you take some time every day to read the Scriptures. And fourth, take some time and dream about it. Dream about it. Give yourself permission to dream of a day when there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more death, no more suffering. Because that's what Jesus has promised us. In Romans 5, 13, it says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. We can have joy and peace in this life regardless if there's joy or peace in our world because God puts it in us. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There are two groups of us in here today. One of us, one group of us, are followers of Jesus, but our hope has been in the things of this world. And maybe you've never even thought of it, until today. But today is your day to make a choice. Your day to have a conversation with your heavenly Father. Your day to remove your hope from the things of this world and to put it in things that matter, that are eternal, that will carry you through thick or thin, and either way bring you the life and the joy that you hope for. That's one group of us. The second group of us are people who have never put our hope in Christ, Never put our faith in him. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And I'm going to invite you 
if you're in the first group, to have a conversation with God. And if you're in the second group, I'm going to invite you to place your life, hope, faith, and trust in him. And so let's pray. Let's close our eyes. Group one, I'm just going to get you started, and then you can have your conversation with him. Lord Jesus, at the end of the day, I confess that I dream about countertops and kids and relationships and a big bank account or whatever it is that your hope is in. But I haven't spent a lot of time dreaming about you, about your return, about my eternity with you. And even though I want my hope to be in you, it, it hasn't been. So would you, as I choose right now to place my hope in things eternal, would you, by your Spirit, make that real inside of me? And for those who have not played, you've not yet placed your faith in Jesus, you can have a relationship with God today. He is standing at the door of your heart waiting to be invited in. And if you would like to invite him in, just say something like this. Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. That my hope has been in everything but you. I pray that you would forgive my sins. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come in today. Lord, I pray that you would help me place my hope in you and my relationship with you and my eternity with you and your return. Prepare my heart for that. And I ask that you would help me to live your way. In Colossians 3, 1 and 2, and this is my prayer over all of us. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. May it be so in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.